Our scripture today is found in 2 Samuel, chapter 11, 1 through 5. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The line that sticks out in the song that was just sung is that that line, it just keeps getting me, um, about the broken throne. She broke your throne. Um, although I don't think it was Bathsheba who broke David's throne, was it? He did that all by himself um, with his actions. And he had started so well. I mean, not just started, but he had lived so well and so inspiringly well. Such courage in this young man's life as a young man to be 16-year-old shepherd kid and anointed the next king and have the courage and the humility to go back to tending the sheep and waiting for God's timing to bring him to that throne that he'd been promised Um, to go as the errand boy to the front lines and and see a giant taunting not only the people of Israel and the army, but taunting and defying God and to say, God won't stand for that. And to have the courage at 16 to run out and attack the giant and win. Um, To have the faithfulness that David had for 14 years to be pursued by King Saul, who was wicked who God wanted to replace and to have the faith that God could do that and didn't need David to murder him to make it happen. Um, So we we meet him in caves hiding out and in strongholds and in arid places and still his heart is strong and he won't turn away from God. And so Israel under David, finally they anoint him king. And you can imagine, y'all who have brothers and sisters, right? So you know that it's not always sunshine and roses with your brothers and sisters. And so Israel is a nation that came from a family of 12 brothers. And still they have 12 tribes and they have their leaders. And can you imagine how this nation could get with each other? Right? They weren't always like, yay. They're like, it's us and you and we don't like you. And under David, who's from one tribe in the south, the entire kingdom comes together as a whole. And finally, and this is a picture of the tribes that David united, all of these tribes now have one king and they're thriving. They face their enemies together. They win. Their borders expand. Armies that were thinking about attacking Israel put their weapons down and offer a peace treaty. And the nations start doing exactly what God had said would happen when when Israel lived faithfully the nations start coming to Israel. There's all these different people, Arameans and Hittites and people from all over start coming to be part 
of the family of God. It's a golden age. And what is leading this, because we've always had God here, but finally there's a faithful leader who is able to model for the people live like this. So when he brings the ark, David brings the ark, which held the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and which was the physical reminder of God's presence for them. David brings it into the heart of Jerusalem, which he's recaptured, and guess who's in the middle of the procession? David. He's dancing, right? He's showing the people how to celebrate when God comes home. And then David builds a great palace for himself, and he thinks, Oh, the ark of God, God's presence among us, is still in the tent that we built when we were wandering. We're settled. And so David gets in his heart to build a temple, the first ever temple for the Lord. And it's a good idea. And God says to David, you don't get to do this, but start getting ready because your son's going to do it. So David starts getting all the supplies together, and he gives so generously that the leaders of all these other tribes see the king's generosity and they are generous. And then the people see their leader's generosity, and they are generous. So what we see under David's reign is the restoration of Israel, the golden age. We see them for this shining moment being all that God said they would be. And then comes 2 Samuel 11. What Pastor Greg just read and the text gives us a clue. It says, when all the kings went to war, David sent the king's men and Joab to the front lines. He was supposed to be leading them. That's what he always did so courageously is he's there on the front line. And whatever is happening here, we know it's not good because he's in the wrong place. And the Bible tells us that. When the kings went to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. Now, while he's there in the wrong place, he's sleepless. And y'all know the story. He goes up on the roof. He's looking around. And, you know, the whole city that he's captured and built, I'm sure that was comforting. I'm sure it was terrifying, too, to think of what he was in charge of. And he's looking all around and, whoa, there's a naked lady over there. And she looks good, right? And he can't stop looking at her. He can't stop thinking about her. And so even when he goes back inside, and see, if we would have left it there, all of us face temptations. All of us. It's what we do with it. He goes back inside, and still he's not sinning yet. He just says, who is that naked lady over on that other house's rooftop? He wakes up his advisors. I need to know this right now. And they figure it out somehow, and they say, I think you're talking about Bathsheba. She's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Now, here's another chance for David to go, oh, she's married. And she's not just married, she's married to his friend. Now, we may not know that when we just read this text if we haven't read the whole story, but if you, instead of skipping over the list of names, right, if you go back in, in parts of Samuel and you read the list of names when it comes to David's 30 mighty men, the 30 they call them, guess whose name is there? Uriah the Hittite. Uriah 
has been with David over a decade. He's one of the guys who believed in him even when he's just a runt hiding in a cave in the wilderness. Uriah the Hittite, which means he's not an Israelite, came from outside of God's kingdom, pledged David his allegiance, and has helped him achieve the throne. Uriah the Hittite. Oh, Uriah. Well, David's back at the palace, but guess where Uriah is? He's on the front lines, of course. So here's the beginning of the sin. David thinks he can get away with this. So he brings his friend's wife, his subject's wife over, sleeps with her, and sends her back before the sun comes up. That's what kings can do, right? But this king shouldn't have done that. Because this king is supposed to be different. So David gets a note a couple weeks later, and his heart stops. I'm pregnant. The secret could come out if David doesn't cover it up, which is what he decides to do. So he pulls Uriah off the front lines and asks him how the battle's going. Because you see, he could because they were friends, and this is one of his 30 mighty men. He goes, how's Joab doing? How's the army? What's the morale of the troops? Hey, Uriah, go on home and get a good night's sleep. I bet Bathsheba's been missing you. So David sends Uriah home to cover this thing up because Bathsheba can't turn up pregnant while her husband's at war. But instead of going home, Uriah goes to where David's servants sleep, which is probably in the courtyard on a mat in the dirt. And he makes a little um, pallet like he would in the army, and he sleeps in the courtyard with David's servants. He doesn't go home. This is a big problem for David. So he calls Uriah back in. Hey, Uriah, what's this I hear about you sleeping in the courtyard? My friend, you do so much for me. Go home. I'm sending you back soon. Go home, rest while you can. And this is what Uriah says to David. He says, how could I go home and sleep in a nice bed and kiss my wife and enjoy good food when my commander and my men and the ark of God are out in the fields? If they're all sleeping in the dirt, then so am I in solidarity of heart with them. Guess where he learned that? So David, in a last-ditch effort, gets Uriah really drunk, really drunk, and sends him home. Uriah, go home. And Uriah staggers back to his pallet. Another choice. And David sends Uriah back to the front lines carrying a little note with the king's seal. It's execution papers. His own. Uriah carries his death sentence to the front line, not knowing because this is such an upright good man that he would never open a letter like this. And David knows it. And so David, who wouldn't, at one time, because he was so 
courageous, he was so close to God and so faithful, he wouldn't kill his enemy, sends one of his subjects, a loyal friend, to the front line to die, to be murdered. And so in the battle, they put Uriah, without him knowing, in the hardest spot, and Uriah is courageous, so he's fighting, and the whole army pulls back from him. And he's killed. And of course it looks like an accident, like miscommunication. But it's not. David ordered that. And Bathsheba mourns her husband. And then after a little bit of time has passed, but not too much, David marries her. And the story is that their first child is premature. And the throne is broken. Now, Here's the good news. Two things. First of all, when God's people went to write this story for us, they included it. They didn't just tell us how great David was with the giants and with the other nations. They included how he was an imperfect human being and how he dealt with that. And the second thing great about this is when we start to let our hearts get crumpled and torn and ripped and we start walking down a dark road, God doesn't think we're not valuable anymore. God always believes we're worth saving, no matter how bad it is. And for David, it's bad. It's really bad. And so I want us to be comforted in that, um, that most of us are not going to be in a situation with adultery and then murder our friend. Okay, and betray our nation. And so if God can reach out to David and can redeem him, and we're going to see how that happens, then God can do that for us. So this is how it happens. When you find yourself walking down a dark path, there will be someone or something or some moment when you see this. And you're going to hate it. Because this stop sign calls attention to the sin that you wish could stay hidden. And you have to deal with it either by saying, I'm not going to deal with it, or by facing how ugly it's become. But I want to tell you this is a gift. This is a gift from God. A God who believes you're worth something. And I'm worth something even when we're broken. And so what Saul, the first king, did when he saw the stop sign, when Samuel came to him and said, you're doing it wrong, is he kept going around. I'm not. Or I did it for this. Or you don't understand. Or I had a better idea than God's idea. And so he keeps going around all of the stop signs. He refuses to change. God sends Nathan, who is a prophet, to his king, who is broken. And Nathan tells David a story about his own sin, without him knowing that it's him. And when David hears what this despicable man in his kingdom has done, he says, that man should die. And Nathan says, that's you. Now here's the moment. And this is where we see that David is courageous, not just against giants, 
on the battlefield, but he's courageous against the giants inside of him, against the demons that are trying to take over in his heart. Because when he is confronted, David kneels down and says to his king three words, I have sinned. That's courage. That's courage you and me have a hard time getting to. And certainly when the gravity of the sin is adultery and betrayal and murder, and he's the king, he could have executed that guy with the stop sign. But he kneels down before God and says, I have sinned. And the very next thing God says to him is, you are forgiven. Just like that. He didn't have to prove it, his sincerity for a year walking around in pain and misery. He didn't have to pray and pray and pray and pray. He didn't have to, you know, make some public display or announcement. He just talked to God and said, I was wrong. And God said, you are forgiven. His heart is made clean. In a way that he could never have done it himself, God makes him clean. And God stays with him because although God removes the stain of sin from his heart and that giant falls, David has set into motion with his actions a dark series of events. His, uh, his baby dies. Um, his children go into rebellion. There's a civil war Um, One of his sons is killed. Another one rises up against him. He's driven from the palace. Um, As he's being driven from the palace, it's a mixed bag. Some people are like, yay, we're rid of David. Some people are spitting on him as he goes. And the whole time David is saying, I don't know what God is going to do out of this, but I trust him. And so once again, we see some of his men are like, I'll go kill that spitting guy. And he goes, no. What if God sent him? Let's see what God will do. And so the whole time as he's going into exile again, this king who had everything and his actions lost it, he's saying, God will do something good, whether it's to get me back to the palace or I'm going to stay out here and God will raise up a new king. We have to trust him. And he ends up winning. They fight. He leads. They win. He goes back to the palace. He restores the kingdom. Peace is restored. Um, And we see that that's not the only grace to walk through the disaster. But in the midst of this, God had promised David that he would always have an heir on the throne of Israel forever. And God doesn't change his mind. And the child that God picks next is the next son that David and Bathsheba have. I mean, this was a day when people had lots of wives, especially kings, and so God could have picked anybody. It says something to me that God picked Solomon. It says that those two, David and Bathsheba, were so completely forgiven that when God looked at them, he didn't see their sin anymore. He saw two people who would be the parents of the next king. He saw two people that he was incorporating into the line of salvation that would lead to Jesus. 
Jesus is not only the son of David, he's the son of Bathsheba because of forgiveness. And so when we come here, remember how we always say we are imperfect people? Let's remember that. Let's hold on to that. Um, the, The best king ever was not best because he was perfect. He was best because he was courageous, because he could face giants, because he was devoted to God. And when he wasn't, he admitted it and asked for God's grace. And that's courage too. And so when we come together, I want us to come as our real selves. I mean, imperfect, you know. To be with each other and to say, none of us have this thing right. None of us make the right choice all the time, even if we want to. But all of us love the God who gives us time and time again his perfect love who transforms us from within and helps our story not just to be one of, I messed it up and now from here on out, it's black, but says, you messed it up. God, be part of this. And suddenly, instead of darkness, you have light. Coming out of that brokenness, I mean, doesn't light shine through cracks? We've got a lot of those, right? For God's light to shine through. And so what I would encourage all of us to do is not to try to be perfect, but to try to be courageous. That when we break things, to admit it. And to have the courage to seek God so that the giants will fall. Not just out there, but in here. And so that the story that we tell to each other and to the world is how God has redeemed us. And how the grace of God has transformed the brokenness so that light is shining. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would give each of us the courage to seek you as your servant David did. Help us to be ready to charge forward in your name. And help us to be ready to kneel down. And admit our sins, which we do today. You know um, the depth of that brokenness. And you can also make it whole again. So God, please make us whole. Please help us to write with you a new story. um, To let your light shine out of the cracks we've made. So that even they could become something beautiful. And remind us that we are never so broken that you don't value us and that you can't heal us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.